Hello and welcome to the new type vocab. Um, this is the first in hopefully um, quite a number of um, entries that I'm planning to put out um, instead of the traditional written newsletter that I've been doing over the last couple of, well, last few months. Um, why did I decide to do this? So I've been thinking about doing a podcast for a while now. And the idea was to do a proper recording, you know, get into a studio, maybe do a series of interviews, you know, just like, I guess, a lot of the podcasts that I listen to and I think a lot of other people do. And I've been thinking about a format for a long time. But this now overlapped with a lot of thinking and reading and watching and listening that I've been doing around this idea of oral oral cultures. Um a lot of groups, ethnic groups and um, um, cultures in on, on the continent you know, of Africa <clears throat> are oral cultures and a lot of oral cultures, of course, all over the world. Um, but it's something that I've been thinking about a lot, you know, um, something that is, has been very key to even just the raw idea of new type has been this idea of alternative perspectives and perspectives that are different from the kind of Western European model where, you know, the written word has, you know, is privileged, you know, above other, other forms of communication, um, you know, academia and the way knowledge is produced um, has been, is taken for granted, you know, um, here in Nigeria, you know, going to university and getting a degree is something that is, is taken, you know, people just, assume is something you're supposed to do you go to university to get knowledge you come out you get a job etc and if you want to do research or investigate anything then the idea is that you're supposed to do it in academia um, and it's something that i've been thinking about a lot that a lot of um, cultures survived for a very long time without you know writing and how did they transmit knowledge how did they um, create knowledge, you know, how was this communicated amongst themselves and what were the structures that maintained this? So it's something that I've been thinking about a lot and um, I didn't want to fall into this assumption that, well, it was because they were not advanced enough or they were yet to be civilized, you know, to progress really <clears throat> in, in the sense that, you know, there's some idea inherent, maybe at least in myself, that, you know, cultures develop from the spoken word to being able to create a written language and then from that writing you now progress to you know mathematics or maybe mathematics gives you you know makes you end up writing and then you get to the printing press and then you know you continue and you get the telephone and then the internet and so on um, and that line of progression but the more I thought about it and the more I got into actually new type practice itself, the less satisfied I was with that narrative. Um, the book African Fractals by Ron Eglash, um, and he has a great TED talk. I will actually um, put a link in the newsletter to this if you haven't seen it yet, where he talks about, you know, fractal mathematics and fractal design in um, various African cultures. Um, his research is really incredible and it's fascinating to me that it's not really more explored, even by our own researchers. Um, so 
he, you know, it's this idea that, you know, people were using very sophisticated mathematics and a lot of these cultures also didn't have written, they didn't have written language. They were not um, keeping tomes or libraries, but yet they were able to communicate this knowledge across to each other. So it showed that it was possible to have a very sophisticated society without necessarily now having writing and paper and stone tablets or what have you. And this is not to say, of course, that those things are bad, but it's just so that there, there is a possibility of an alternative. Um, so anyway, so this thinking had been going along. I've been talking with a lot of people, um, both within the, you know, my immediate kind of, uh, will I say, friend community of fellow thinkers, you know, people like... Um, Tita Solanke or Lyle Sprong, um, Ni, Ni um, of Post Imperial. There are a lot of these people that I've been speaking to and other friends of mine, um, and family just thinking about how, what does it, what does it look like to have a modern day oral society? And I, um, got sent this video by Carmen Ho. Um, called, it was, um, how indigenous thinking can save the world or something, something grandiose like this. Um, and it was basically a webinar, um, Zoom, Zoom webinar or, or talk that was recorded and uploaded to YouTube, um, where they were talking to the, I guess, thinker, writer, um, Tyson Yunka Porter, who's an Australian Aborigine, um, and he put together, he has his book called Sam Talk. And I think he's now doing the rounds, you know, within this space, you know, this kind of space where people are talking about all these ideas about alternatives and so on. And he really opened my mind, you know. Um, he talked about how they share knowledge, you know, among the, these, the, the Aboriginal peoples of Australia, you know, um, you know, drawing in the sand. And oral culture and storytelling, and I'm definitely not going to do it any justice at all. So I'm just going to link this as well um, in the in the body of the newsletter. But it was incredible. It um, showed the possibilities and the the things that I intuitively understood and maybe had been drawn to about oral culture and this sort of thinking, anyway, where ideas emerge out of the act of talking and i've experienced this as well as how ideas emerge even in the act of writing and writing physically <clears throat> i'm i'm one of those people with lots of collections of notebooks and pens and pencils and i do a lot of thinking by writing or drawing and watching him talk about how this is basically the process but they didn't just think by writing and drawing you know silently they also thought by talking they thought in public, you know, with others, or they even even if they were talking to themselves, speaking out loud, it's something that allowed ideas to emerge in a different way. Because I think that there's something really powerful about being able to utilize our whole body to do a lot of work. I think there's something in the notion that has stuck with us where the mind is this thing that sits, you know, in the head, you know, and the body is just a vehicle that you move around, but everything you basically need is your mind. So it's what gives birth to these um, tropes of, you know, brains in jars um, in science fiction. And if you read comic books, you know, Cape comic books, for example, um, there will always be eventually at some point some, you know, some title um, or story that's going to cover 
you know, this idea of taking a brain or a mind out of a body and then just suspending it somewhere. And it's like, oh, you know, finally the mind is free. But, you know, research and even just personal experience for myself is showing that that's just not really how the mind works, you know, how the brain works, that we we think with our bodies as well. We 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 think with things that are next to us. We think with other people. We think with the environment. Um, our brain is constantly making these connections, both in terms of sensory inputs and even just itself testing the world. And, you know, that feedback loop of the brain testing getting um, sensory information, making a model of the world and then feeding that back out and seeing if it's correct. And then that constant feedback loop, I think, is where somewhere in there is where this, this thinking happens, is where consciousness happens, you know. Um, and I found that really inspiring. I And there's a lot of, it's also overlapped very nicely with a lot of other reading I've been doing. There's a, there's a thinker and consultant called Bonita Roy. And um, she writes occasionally on Medium, I think less so these days, but she also has a few interviews she's done, podcasts and YouTube things. Um, and she she talks about a lot about like collective insights, um, this idea of people being able to sit together and in the talking, and this is different from brainstorming, but just in this, you know, nonstop kind of circling, you know, um, there are these practices of circling or we space. and people talking back and forth, you know, just nonstop. And in that speech, in that, in that, in that discourse, in that conversation, something that is different, you know, um, adjacent, you know, maybe, maybe I'll say, you know, the, the, that a great, greater than the, than the, than the sum of its parts, you know, emerges between the people that are having a conversation and it takes on a life of its own. It's something that develops and evolves in the conversation. And it's, um, I'm sure anybody listening to this has had moments where you maybe you didn't even know something but in the talking the knowledge comes out and you don't even realize how 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 that happened you know or maybe somebody um tells you oh you said you 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 know that oh you you told me this you gave me this advice or you, you told me about this it's like you don't remember it you know it's like the only way you could know it it was in the same in the enactment in the you know it had to emerge it wasn't something that was in your brain and then you just went and found it in a folder somewhere. You came and brought it out and said, okay, this is it. It's something that had to be created by doing. And I think we are more used to this experience, maybe with physical activity. If anybody, you know, participates in any sports or you do like yoga or, you know, you skip, even swim. There's some things when you leave, you leave your body to lead as opposed to constantly thinking about it rationally and you watch that happen and, you know, your body sort of figures its way out. And I think this is something, I mean, this is something we've all gone through. We've all walked, right? None of us sat down and really thought about the theory of walking. Um, our bodies figured it out as we were doing it. And so this is something that was really interesting to me. So this um, current format for the podcast is, is an experiment. It's me figuring out whether or not this is possible. So these, um, these episodes now are essentially me doing a stream of consciousness. Um, there's no script. I'm not going to do too much research ahead of time unless I have a particular, there's maybe there's something that I find really interesting and then I'll talk through it and see what emerges at the end of that. I'm not going to do, you know, edits and multiple passes unless something really drastic happens, um, just to be upfront. So I I beg for your indulgence if some of this ends up being very rambly. Uh, 
Um, if you are somebody that's ever received a voice note from me, I hope this would be just um, powerful because you'd be used to me rambling <laughs> um, about various ideas and things. But yes, this is the this is the idea. This is what I'm hoping to do moving forward, and it is something that I've experienced already. I had a um, you know as part of the um, conversations we've been having on the Discord server. Um, I set up a new type Discord server a while ago, um, as I mentioned on the this on the on this newsletter. And, you know, in the group I'm in, in the mass field sites I'm in, Feral Maps, we decided that we were going to do some, some thinking and some writing and communicating about gender. And, um, I, I took a lead from, um, Carmen Ho, who was already doing a lot of voice recordings and decided to do one stream of consciousness one as well. And I really liked the experience of that, the experience of letting myself go really. I mean, just seeing where the voice took me. Um, so yes, this is the this is the current format. So my idea right now, and please don't hold me to this, um, is that every month I'm hoping to do maybe three of these, um, two to three of these, and then I will now have another one where I try and see if I can have a generative conversation of this same sort, but with someone else, or maybe with multiple people, right? Um, and then we'll record it and then share that. So that will be a little bit more traditional in terms of um, multi multi person podcasting but you know i'm hoping that it can still be we can get a really good conversation going from this sort of stream of consciousness um associative circling as opposed to interview style um podcasts so yeah this is the first edition of this whole thing and i guess what i'll do is i'll talk a little bit um i don't i actually don't know what i was going to talk about i i know I knew I was going to do an introduction and I had to explain this, but I wasn't really decided on what I wanted to discuss right now. But I think what I will talk about is, um, so is the game that we played with, with new type. Um, a few weeks ago, seems like I don't even know. It's so time has all blended together. Um, I think about a month ago now. Almost a month, three weeks ago, maybe we had a a game on the Discord server, um, and you know, I I created a new Discord server, and then I, I you know formed a team of people. Um, like I mentioned in newsletters, was Carmen Ho, um, Lyle Sprong, and Philip um, Fagbeiro, who works with me in New Type. Um, and the idea was to create a game that people will be able to participate in. Now, um, I've been working on a, like, I'll call it a universe really. One of the things for me with um, new type right now, and this is over the last couple of months that I've been thinking about on how I want this practice to operate, is that I, I've seen new type as a world building practice and a world maintaining practice. Um, for those of you who follow us on um, Instagram, um, you see that, you know, new type is described as a maintenance practice. I actually believe I have this on the newsletter page as well. Um, but yes, so we are maintenance practice and we don't only maintain these wisdom ecologies, um, that are present in the world here, but we also maintain and build, um, wisdom ecologies in other worlds. Um, and these are fictional worlds that uh, we're working on. And a lot of my thinking around this is this idea of 
being able to use fiction and the imagination as a source of insight, as a source of wisdom. And again, this is inspired by a lot of indigenous practices. Um, to go back to Tyson's book, Sand Talk, and what he's been discussing, and I've, I've been long fascinated with Australian Aboriginal culture, um, the idea of the dreaming, <clears throat> and you know, it's 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 a story, um, and it's this ever evolving, ever living, ever mutating story that operates in a no time, you know, in a in a time that is all time, and. In that story, they get insights into the way the world works. They get insights into the way to relate with each other. They get insights into morals and ethics and the way the universe operates, you know, the physical laws. And this is something that I think is very fascinating. Um, I, I really strongly believe that it is possible to go to visit fictional worlds, you know, via reading, via listening to a story, even watching a film, listening to music, it's possible to transport ourselves into these places, but not just for recreation, which I think is what has happened for the most part in the modern era, but to improve ourselves, to get insights, to to learn something that we wouldn't have been able to learn otherwise, or at least even if we could have learned it otherwise, we've learned it in this way. And to bring that back into the world and apply it in, 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 into our lives. And I don't just mean this in terms of moral lessons like, um, you know, Aesop's fables or something, parables, etc. Um, but I mean this in the sense that you can get ideas you wouldn't have gotten otherwise if you were not inhabiting that world. So in the same way that, um, if we, if we talk about how someone's experience can inform the sorts of things that they do, you know, that context, um, you know, right now there's a, there's a big push for participatory design, which I think is amazing. Um, which is basically that if you're going to be doing any kind of design work, whether that's architecture or user interface design, et cetera, it's better to do it with the people who will be using it. So architects who are maybe designing low income housing, for example, it's better to engage with the community that you're going to be building this housing for, as opposed to doing it top down, you know, from some studios somewhere because you don't understand the day-to-day lived experience of that place. And I think fiction allows us to change our perspectives and change our context. So imagine designing from that context. Um, inhabiting a different world allows you to ask different questions because you don't have, you know, it's a, it's, it's, not, it's not a place that you can take everything for granted anymore, right? Um, so at least certain things for granted. So for example, if one was to think of a world like the one that um, I'm, I'm currently in the process of mapping out for new type. It would be something like, in that world, there is this mass village, and the mass village is maybe about 200 million inhabitants total worldwide, connected by the internet, connected by interest, connected by desires for a certain kind of future. And these people gather in groups that are known as mass field sites, um, mass field villages. And they work together. They, they organize themselves differently. Where people for, you know, so for instance, if I know that they organize themselves differently, I can start asking myself, so how would this society run if they didn't use clocks or they didn't use a standard calendar? What kind of calendar would they use? What kind of timing would they use? How would they organize their, their meetings, you know? Um, how would they organize their time? What does work mean for somebody who lives in a mass village? And then you start getting all these questions that allow you to start interrogating the preconceptions that one has already. Um, 
you know, what, what kind of things would they wear if they have a relationship with the environment? They believe in a planet-centric approach. They believe in non-human agents having dignity and will and rights. What does that mean for the kinds of clothes they wear? Um, and out of this, for example, came the idea of the year garments, which is something that, um, I'll, let, let me not say too much about that now, because that, that could also take up the rest of this podcast, um, episode. But, you know, that, that, that allowed me to come up with the idea for the year garment, which is something that I've coupled to an exhibition, which will hopefully be going live by the end of this month. So please look out for that. I'll also make an announcement on the newsletter and on the Instagram page as well anyway. But, um, yeah, so the year garment came out of that. And all of this is a very roundabout way to just go now, now to go back to what I was saying about how I organize this game. I wanted to give people an opportunity to experience this world as well, to inhabit it for a span of time. And this is where the pilgrimage idea came up from. So everyone I was working with, um, Carmen, Lyle, Philip, um, we, we created different, um, media experiences for people. And, you know, we, we also sent out introductory forms and emails to give people an idea, just a very small amount of background into the world they were inhabiting and where they were going. And then we just put them in there. We told them to create characters, to assign different, um, to choose what is known as ways in the world, in this universe. Um, there are, one, two, three, six ways, and each way is associated with a kind of perspective, really. And we 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 give them these ways, and different ways have different experiences as they move through this pilgrimage. So we had four sites, and it was really incredible watching people interacting with each other as these characters, because the idea was that they were not supposed to play themselves. But it's also very difficult to separate yourself from somebody that you are improvising. So. It was interesting seeing what parts of themselves they chose to highlight, what parts of themselves they chose to receive, you know, to, to take, to move back, um, um, what they chose to share, how they chose to express themselves, because part of the idea was that there was an exercise for them to participate in where they had to create um, a, a representation somehow of a memory that we had given them, and they had to link it to their character and to themselves. And we had all sorts of things. We had excerpts from comic books. We had videos with voiceovers. We had performances, you know, both in terms of readings and, and otherwise, um, photographs. It was, it was incredible. Um, and seeing the amount of creativity coming out from people and the kinds of things that they chose to share was really encouraging because it made me feel like there, there is something here. There is something. That is possible to be able to get people to encounter and engage with about themselves and with others and with the environment and the world in general. Um, and this, of course, as a game and as an experience into an incursion, maybe into a world, um, also ties in with the new type idea of play and playgrounds that play being this form of engagement where you can meet, meet a world on its own terms and, and, and engage with those terms and engage with those constraints instead of looking for a way to change those constraints to match yourself and your preferences. You meet it where it is. And it was really, really nice seeing that happen um, organically and you know being able to build this playground and try and maintain it, I think was something really, really powerful. So 
it's something I'm hoping that we can do moving forward with new type. Um, I'm hoping to do at least one more of those this year. I don't want to push my luck and say two, but at least we'll do one more and we'll make it a lot bigger. I'll announce it on the newsletter and make it open for people. Um, I think what I'm going to do is I might include the character creation form with this newsletter. So if people are interested, they can, you know, you guys can create your, your characters and keep them waiting for when we, when we release the next, um, the next version of this experience. It won't be a pilgrimage. It will be something else and it won't take a week, which is what it took, um, for the pilgrims the last time. Um, this is something I'm hoping can be a self-contained experience. You just need one day, maybe three hours or four hour block, something like that to just en engage with it and then leave. But I hope it to be rich. I think it to be, I think it to be something that, um, could be really fulfilling. So please, um, open, you know, be, be open to it. Um, so yeah, I think this is it for this first um, edition. I don't want this to, I don't want these to be too long. I'm not sure anybody is really looking forward to hearing my voice for an hour plus. It is just me monologuing anyway. Um, but yes, I, I, I really heartily recommend Sand Talk. Um, I think it's very important for us to be able to see the world in a different way, to and see ourselves in a different way, and to be able to consider these approaches, none of them are better than another. I think everything is about context and the perspective you're looking for. Uh, one of the things that I am really trying to be able to express properly through the work I'm participating in and new type in general is just this idea that as a species, we're all on this planet together and we all have different views based on the context we're in, our histories, our loves, our hatreds, our desires, um, and where we are placed physically in the world. And these, these, these different facets allow us to look at reality, this multifaceted, multidimensional, constantly shifting, changing, prismatic reality that we all engage in and create by engaging in. And while we may never get the full picture, we can get a much better picture if we can all constantly look at each other's perspectives and switch when necessary um, without this colonial idea that there's one true way or one ideal way or one best way. And even these ideas of progress that you know, sort of flatten time into this linear thing. Um, I really hope it's something that we can do. And I think this is for me one of my motivations with doing new type, which is that we want to have as many perspectives out there for people to listen to, for people to be able to interact with, for people to be able to embody. And the African, at least me, my, myself, as a Nigerian, as an African, I genuinely, and I, I mean, I'm not saying anything new here by saying that our, our perspective has not been shared with the world. And it's something that I hope we can do a lot more of to contribute to that sort of bigger species conversation, to the bigger conversation of Gaia. And the more of these perspectives we can get, not just human perspectives, but also non-human perspectives. What are stones telling us? What are trees telling us? What are, what are fungi telling us? What, what, what is the sky telling us? And these are things that we need to be able to access a lot more if we are to push through this situation that we are in right now. I really believe that this decade is a, is a decade that we can 
make a change in. We can we are at the crossroads, and I know a lot of people have read lots of articles talking about this. Um, uh, probably watched a lot of talks and things, but I think it's worth repeating that this is a moment for us, and I don't think it's a moment that we can move past or we can surf. Let's say. Um, using the same kind of thinking that brought us here. We, we got here by trying to simplify the world, by denying it its complexity, denying it its, its agency, by denying its right to be what it is and not conform to our view of what it should be. We've done this to ourselves individually, we've done this to others, and we've done this to the planet as well. And I think it's a form of thinking that got us here. And we need to let go of that form of thinking in order to be able to receive ourselves, each other, and the world as it is, um, as much as that is possible. And really engage with the full complexity. And as Donna Haraway says, the, the trouble, or the troubles even, <laughs> that, that, that we are in. Whether that's climate change, whether that is migration, um, racism, populism, various kinds of discrimination. There's something about the world, existence, humanity, that is fundamentally about possibility. And while different possibilities may be closed off as we move forward, new ones are constantly opening up in front of us. So we shouldn't get too attached to any one future that we believe may be the most likely one and resign ourselves to that. While I, I'm not a really big believer in free will, I do believe that we can take responsibility for our actions and we can also craft a narrative around them. So yeah, thank you very much for listening if you've gotten to this point. Um, I'll put a whole bunch of notes in the, I mean, links and so on in the newsletter below. And yeah, please have an amazing week. Be blessed.